Welcome. This is uh, week number four, our finale of our series that we're calling Spheres. And uh, uh, let me do a quick review of what we've looked at in the previous three weeks. First week, we talked about the fact that you are where you are for his sake. And then week number two, we looked at the fact that your work is a window into your worldview. And then last week, if you were here with us, uh, we talked about the fact that your vocation and your station is your ministry location. And so all of this is really to identify the fact that uh, from God, God's point of view, work is not meaningless. Uh, your, your friendships, your, where you go to the gym, all those things are not meaningless. That God has a sphere that he's placed each and every one of us in for his purpose uh, and, and to really influence those who are in our sphere uh, for, toward godliness. And so we're concluding this series uh, during our time together today. And uh, quite honestly, I, I don't know, it's that time of year. It's the, it's the most wonderful time of the year, really. And uh, football is starting. And, uh, you know, having spent 12 years uh, coaching and, and then, of course, another four playing. So 16 years of my life uh, really revolved around football for the most part. We're talking about spheres, and, and that has always been a big sphere for me. Uh, so uh, I, I, want, I just want to, if you'll just indulge me, I... I kind of brought a little something with me, and and I kind of wore my uh, my, my coaching gear best as I could, and, and here's my whistle here. And what I want to do in this finale is really kind of coach you up a little bit uh, in reaching your sphere. But whenever I coach, because I have a bald head, you'd never see me like this. Uh, I need a hat. So, okay, here we go. Now, now I'm feeling very comfortable, uh, and I'm ready to coach you up as we talk about do your job, do your job. I wanna share with you for just a minute, if we could put the first slide up there. Uh, this is a 4-4 basic defense uh, against a pro-I set right here. And uh, just to explain to you, those that don't know football too well, uh, we ran a 4-4 defense when I coached at John Jay and at Lourdes. Uh, and, and so uh, actually at John Jay, I coached on I coached the quarterbacks, but on defense at John Jay, I coached both corner positions, the free safety, and both outside linebacker positions all at the same time. Uh, and, and I played safety when I was in high school, but it gave me a great appreciation coaching those five different positions, really. Uh, again, corner, free safety, corner, and these are outside linebackers right here because those five positions have to work in tandem with one another. Uh, it really gave me a big picture of the fact that they're a unit together. And so coaching those defensive positions, especially quarterback is kind of like he does almost everything on his own. He just has to know his stuff. He has to know everyone else's, but uh, it's not as much of how much these have to rely on each other and depend upon each other. And so looking at this 4-4 defense like this, it just brings up all these these, these sayings we used to have, coaching, and, and coaching, you kind of coach on the fly. You can't stop the practice. You certainly can't stop the game all the time to coach. And so you have these real succinct little statements. I want to share with you some of these coaching points that are probably going to mean absolutely nothing to you, but man, they just get me all fired up again. Like, like this one, uh, don't get beat on alignment. That was a big one we used to always say, because if you line up out of position at the corner, if I line up outside this receiver, well, the post pattern's wide open. You can't do 
that. And you can't line up head up either. You actually have to shade to the inside, take away that post pattern, even if you're dropping your back foot. Everyone with me? Okay, so don't get beat on alignment. Uh, don't pass one to get one on the offensive line when someone's pulling. We say, don't pass one. Why would you let one guy go free and kill the quarterback because you're going after your man? So don't pass one to get one when you're blocking. Uh, another one was don't play, don't make a bad play worse. Don't make a bad play worse. My kids have heard me say that so many times to them uh, because a lot of these, these sayings that, uh, that I found in football that we would repeat over and over again are really life lessons. Don't make a bad play worse. The, and the world puts it this way, the cover-up is worse than the crime. That means don't make a bad play worse. If you blow it, <laughs> take responsibility, move up, move on. But the cover-up is always worse than the crime. So don't make a bad play worse. Catch the ball at its highest point. These defensive backs here, they're covering wide receivers. You never play with your, with your feet flat on the ground. You always go up and you take the ball away. You catch the ball at its highest point. It takes no talent to hustle. This is another one that my kids have heard me say over and over and over. And all these I credit to Brian Walsh that I coached with uh, for nine years. But it takes no talent to hustle. Do you know, we see this so many times, uh, especially at the high school level, kids that were outstanding in, in the, the, you know, like the Pop Warner Leagues, youth leagues, and they get to high school and they never get off the bench because talent is not enough. It takes hard work and commitment. And so we always say that it takes no talent to hustle. Work ethic, anyone can have a great work ethic. You just have to decide you're gonna have a great work ethic. It takes no talent, it takes no God-given ability to work hard. It just takes heart. It takes heart. And I, I think of one of the guys that I coached, uh, he was about five foot two uh, and, and had the biggest heart that I've ever seen in my life. Worked so hard, always. He was the first one on the field, last one off the field. And you know what? Even now, he's playing at Cornell University, speed football. That's the ones for the, the shorter guys. And he's playing college football, speed football right now. Huge, huge heart. Well, maybe he was five foot five. I don't know. Maybe I'm selling him a couple inches short. But man, he used to hustle. It takes no talent to hustle. Keep your head on a swivel. Again, especially these defensive back positions, you, you can't just be focused. You have to see what's going around you. Be aware of where you are on the field. Be aware of the yard marker. Be aware of the first down marker. Be, be aware of your position on the field. You go out of bounds, it's not gonna help us. So keep your head on a swivel. Low man wins. You hear this a lot in the offensive line. The low man wins. You gotta get up underneath, pad under pad, if you're gonna control the man against you. And then this one also on the line, you'd hear, fight pressure. And boy, if that's not a life lesson, fight pressure. When, when someone's trying to block you and they're trying to push you this way, you don't go with the pressure. You fight against the pressure. Great life lessons on the football field. These short, succinct statements that you have to say. And then we began to use one that became very much in vogue. And it wasn't original to, to, to Coach Walsh. It was actually Bill Belichick, the head coach of the New England Patriots. And he, he kind of coined this phrase, and it's so powerful, and it's so exact, and wouldn't you figure he's coached in seven Super, Super Bowls, and he's won five of them. Do your job. Do your job. Do your job. And I heard recently an interview with Bill Belichick. He said, you know, I'd add a fourth word to that. Do your job well. Do your job well. 
See, as a unit in coaching and pass coverage, outside linebackers, corners, and a free safety, they had to trust one another. The free safety couldn't be concerned. Oh, I'm not sure if this guy's going to be able to cover his man. Outside linebacker couldn't be worried about what's going on in here. Never make a tackle inside here. I used to tell him, if I see you make a tackle inside here, you're going to be in trouble. Your job is outside here. Do your job. Do your job well. And that's what the title of this last message is that I've given uh, to this last message in this series. Do your job. Because Jesus left you and Jesus left me with a job to do. If he's our king, if he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he's left us a job to do. So let me share with you the game plan, all right? He gave us the game plan. He gave us the strategy. He he gave us what he expects you and I to be preoccupied with, to always be thinking about and always working on. Here's Jesus's game plan. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is often referred to as the great commission. It's the mission that he gave to every one of his followers. As we talked about in weeks past, it's not just clergy that he gave this job to because there was no such thing for the first two centuries of the Christian church. He gave this game plan to every follower. And look at what he says. This is before, this is after his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension as he returns back to heaven. This is the game plan that he gave to his followers. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now here's the strategy. Watch the strategy of the game plan. Therefore, here's the first part of the strategy. Go. Go. I've said this before, the church is never at its best when we're trying to hold our position. Jesus said the game plan is to go, not stay. Go and do what? What are we gonna do as we go? Go and make disciples. What is a disciple? A follower of Christ. He's gonna explain what that actually is as he's laying out the game plan too. If you wanna put it this way, his disciples who when they sent him out in the go right here, they became the apostles. The word apostle means a sent one. That's what it really means, a sent one, someone who's sent. And he says, go and make disciples. He says, you're gonna be the coaching staff. You go and make followers. Go and make disciples of all nations. This word nations is pretty interesting in the original language of the New Testament, which is Greek. It's not the word countries. It's the word ethnos, where we get ethnicity from. Go and make disciples of all ethnicities. You realize how powerful and revolutionary that was? Because previous to this, it was thought of that he was the Jewish Messiah just for the Jewish people. But he said, go and make disciples of all ethnos, all ethnicities. It's not just a Jewish thing. This is for all ethnicities. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And just a couple weeks ago, we baptized a whole bunch of this year, over 80 already. And we have another baptism coming up in the fall because we're working the game plan. This is the game plan that he gave us. Go baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And goes on and says... Teach them, that's what I'm doing right now, so I'm coaching you up. This is, what, this is why we gather like this. This is, this is really the locker room speech, if you want to look at it that way. And then we go out and we execute the game plan all week long. Teach them what? To obey. Now, that's a funny word, isn't it? I'm going to take my hat off for this one. See, Jesus is not concerned with your Bible knowledge. He's concerned with your obedience to your Bible knowledge. 
That's the game plan. Not how much we know, it's how much we live. Jesus says, teach them to obey everything. Not just the parts we agree with. Not just the ones that reinforce my personal opinion. Not just the easy ones. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the game plan. The Great Commission. And if I could put it this way, what God is counting on for you and for me in our sphere is this. God's goal is that the Great Commission would become the Great Completion. That's what he's after. That the great commission that we looked at would become the great completion. That's what he's counting on you for. That's what he's counting on me for. And and I love this word, the great completion, because as a quarterback, that's what I was aiming to do is to throw completions. No, nobody cares how many passes you attempted. Anyone can attempt a bunch of passes. It's how many did you complete? How many did someone catch that was wearing the same colored jersey you were, and I threw quite a few to the other colored jersey in my day. God's goal, that game plan that we just looked at, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, is that the Great Commission in your lifetime and my lifetime would be the Great Completion. That's why this series on spheres is so important. That's why we've taken the time to do it. That's why we're actually having a whole conference coming up in October, uh, the Connexus Conference that we're hosting right here on October 16th, 17th, and 18th. So then we're gonna go a lot deeper and drill down a lot deeper on how do we actually, how can we practically influence people in our spheres? For, For the sake of this series and for the sake of the time that we have right now, I wanna give you some coaching points and I've tried to make these really short and succinct. Just like that list of football coaching points, I, I, I've tried to make these really, really practical, really short and succinct so, so that we can go out and really start working on completing the Great Commission in our sphere of influence. So if you're with me now, here's the first one. Become aware. Become aware. Jesus wants us to be aware of our surroundings, just like that football player. When when I tell that defensive back, keep your head on a swivel. You've got to be looking in all directions to see what's coming up. I I think as Christians, God wants us to keep our head on a swivel, to become aware of what's going on around us, of, of who's around us, not just to walk through our day with blinders on, but, but to really recognize and, and to see who God is bringing across our path In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, the Holy Spirit wrote through the Apostle Paul and he says this, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We're we're, we're supposed to be representing Jesus Christ. Did you know that you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ? And you know one thing about an ambassador is this, an ambassador always speaks on behalf of the one who sent them. They don't speak on their own authority. No, no, no American ambassador in history always just says what he wants to. He has to be in line with what the president says or he'll not have a job for very long. And, and so Paul says, for you and for me even, we're Christ's ambassadors. We're supposed to be representing him. 
God is making his appeal through us as we speak and represent him to others. I love this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. It puts it this way. My work, Paul says, my work was to plant seed in your hearts. Apollos, he was another apostle, by the way. His work was to water it. But it was God, not we, who made the garden grow in your hearts. It, it, it was God who brought the increase, the, the spiritual growth in your hearts. You know, I, I'm just a word person, I guess, because of a, a, being a pastor and teacher, coach, and, and, and just being a communicator for really all my adult life. But one of the things that always makes me cringe is when I hear well-meaning Christians say, I led Jim to the Lord. Really? You're that big and they're that good. Because what that statement is saying is God was doing nothing in that human being's life until I stepped in. And it's arrogant because Paul the apostle wouldn't even claim that. You're putting yourself when you use that word, that verbiage in a place that the guy who wrote two thirds of the New Testament wouldn't put himself in that place. What did he say? My work was to just plant a seed in your hearts. And then Apollos, he, he watered that seed. He said, I recognize other people had input into that process, but at the end of the day, who was it? It was God. It was God that made that grow. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't Apollos. I'm just influencing the person in my sphere, I think Paul would say it that way. God's the one who brought the increase. You know, it's interesting, there was a professor at Wheaton uh, College uh, in, in Illinois, and we've actually had a number of our young people that have gone to Wheaton College, it's a tremendous school, uh, and, and graduated from there. Uh, his name was James Ingle, and, and he actually put together what, what is called the Ingle Scale of Spiritual Maturity, and let's put that up right now. I wanna show you this, this is pretty interesting. He said, every human being on the planet can be put in this scale somewhere. Every single one. And it begins with this. On the negative side, at negative six is resisting, being resistant to the things of God. And then moving up, it's disbelieving. Like, okay, I'm not like totally hardened to it, but I just don't believe it. And then the fourth one is seeking. Like, maybe it's true. I'm just not sure if it's true or not. And then is considering. Hmm. What is, this, what is this Christian faith really all about? And then there's understand. I want to I wanna, I wanna understand. I wanna, you're asking questions. You're not questioning, but you're asking questions that are leading questions that you want to really discover what the Christian faith is all about. And then it's will, I, I, I'm willing. I, I, I want to believe. I just haven't quite done it yet. And then we have it where it all gets yellow. This is the point of, if you want to put it this way, this is the point of salvation on the scale. And this is where someone repents and receives forgiveness from God. When they come to that moment of realizing I'll never be good enough in my own to, to, to do enough good works, to be a good person for God to receive me and accept me and forgive me. Only Jesus was perfect. Only he's the one. And because of his perfect life and his sacrificial death, and dying as a substitute on the cross and laying his life down, deserving, uh, taking what you and I deserve. That's why he said it's finished. He paid the price for your personal sins and my personal sins. 
Then he rose again three days later. And, and that salvation, forgiveness is a free gift of God, not one that can be earned, not one that's deserved, but it's a free gift from God. And a person repents of their sin, God, forgive me. I receive what Jesus Christ did for me through his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his resurrection. And in that moment, the Bible says, it calls it being born again. And that's the, that's the starting point. That's forgiveness right in that moment. But then start spiritual growth and maturity. And, and James Ingle said, this is how it looks. Then you belong to the family of God. And, and God places you in a, in a spiritual family, like Valley Christian Church even. And then you begin to grow. And then you begin to serve. And then you begin to share. And then you begin to give. And Ingle was very, uh, uh, made a real point, he was like, these are not necessarily in that order, but he goes, if, you, if someone's spiritually mature, they do all of those. That's what a spiritually mature follower of Jesus Christ looks like. And he said, everyone on the planet falls into one of these. And we're talking about coaching points here, being aware and I kind of modified these and I made them all end in ING so it was a little easier to understand because he was a college professor and it was like, what? Some of the stuff that he wrote. Let me ask you a question. Where are you on this? Where are you on that scale? Every human being is somewhere on that scale. Not only that, be aware of those around you. Where are the rest of the folks in your family on that scale? Where are your coworkers on that scale? Where's your workout partner on that scale? Where's your roommate? See, Paul said, I planted a seed, but then someone else came along and watered it. And maybe what God wants for you in your sphere, is to plant a seed. Maybe, maybe he's got someone else that's going to come along and water it, but maybe you're the one who's going to water that seed that's already been planted there. And, and just help those that are in your sphere to move to the next level, to take the next step. I, I love steps. I always think about steps. What's next? What's the next step to get to where we want to go? But what's the process? I always think process. This is a process that Professor Engel was able to identify. Every human being on the planet is somewhere on here. And God wants us to be aware of those that are in our sphere and how we can help them by an encouraging word, but by a, a thoughtful note, but by, hey, listen, I got done with my, my work early. I've got a half hour before leaving time. How can I help you to move them up the scale to become aware? See, that's what being salt and being light is all about. That's what Jesus said. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He didn't say, you know, you're not supposed to be salty and lit. You're supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's what it means, influencing those that are in our sphere. I love how Sam Williams put it. He said, evangelism is helping people discover how God is already at work in their lives. I love that because that's the reality. God was at work in your friends' lives, the people in your sphere. He was at work in their lives long before you ever knew them. 
long before you ever recognized, long before you were even introduced, God was working in their life. And that's really what sharing our faith is. It's helping people discover how God's already at work, already at work in their lives. So, so that's, the, that's the first coaching point, if you will, become aware. Here's the second one, commit to prayer. See what I did there? <laughs> become aware, commit to prayer. See, just kind of, so they all build together. Become aware and commit to prayer. I, I believe prayer is one of the most, if you put, put it in the context of, of coaching, let me put my hat back on. I believe prayer is one of the most underutilized tools that we have on this team called Christianity. I, I mean, it's like, it's like a football player saying, no, I don't need to bench press. What? I, I don't need that. Everyone else, but I don't need to bench press. Of course you need to. I don't need to do squats. Coach, you know, I like my upper body being huge and my legs looking like chicken legs. Yeah, well, that's, when, when your knee flies off and you're 20 yards downfield, your kneecap, you're gonna wish you'd done some of those things with your legs. Commit to prayer. Let, let me give you just real practically, and I'm not gonna even take the time to look at these verses, but I have added them in the app on your notes, and you can pick up on these and read these for yourself. Commit to prayer. Here's, here's things that we can pray in terms of influencing people in our sphere. Pray that the Father would draw them to Jesus, that people in your sphere, pray that the Father, the Bible, Jesus said it really clear. No man comes to me unless the Father draws him. See, God's already at work. God's already at work, and you can check that out on your app, John chapter six, verse 44, it's right at the end. Pray against the spirit that blinds their minds. In 2 Corinthians, Paul made it really clear. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there are blinders on people's eyes. That's why they don't see Jesus as the Savior, because their eyes have been blinded. Pray, pray that those blinders would be lifted from their eyes. Pray against that spirit, spirit that blinds uh, their eyes and blinds their minds. Next one says, pray that they come to know God relationally. And not just intellectually, not philosophically, but to come to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. That he is, as that verse says there in Romans, he is their father, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. He's not someone they're afraid of, that they're scared of, but, but there's that familial, like a family. He's my daddy. Pray that they come to know him relationally. He is a good, good father. Here's the next way we can pray and commit to prayer. Pray that believers will cross their paths and positively influence them. I remember, I've told this story before, but when I was a freshman in high school, I'm a freshman in college, my, my best friend, man, he, he was a tight end on the football team. We were the connection. I mean, our names were in the newspaper. I threw him a lot of touchdown passes, and he made me look really, really good more times than it should have looked good. But I remember he, he was not a Christian. And, and I remember when I was, I'm a freshman in college, and he's at a college in Pennsylvania at the time. He's just like, he was so on my heart. That after dinner, I would go out and I would just walk around the campus parking lot, the big, huge, open campus parking lot there, and I would just pray for him over and over. And I was like, God, send someone in his life that can share what you mean, who you really are. God, just protect him. God, send someone to my friend. 
because back then all we had was one pay phone, you know, this is before like smartphones and everything. We had one pay phone. You can never get to it. Someone's always on it for the whole haul. And I was broke anyway, didn't have any money. And he sure wasn't going to take a collect call from Greg Williamson. But pray that the people, I, I prayed for him. Long story short, when I came home at Christmas time, he received Jesus Christ as his savior because I had a chance to talk with him and share my faith with him. But, but I realized even that moment when he told me what he was going through that semester, I realized God was moving in his life and I was in Florida and he was in Pennsylvania and God was moving in his life and bringing people into his life that he needed in his life. God is that big. Pray that believers will cross their paths and positively influence them. Commit to prayer. And here's the last one. Pray for a revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done for them. You probably experienced that in your own life. At some point, you know, you'd heard about Jesus, but at some point, it's like the light just came on. And it was like, no, this is, this is real. He's real. He's real. He's not a historical figure. He's alive. And it's like all of a sudden, bing. That's what Paul's talking about. And you can check it out in Ephesians chapter one, verse 17. Pray for a revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done for that person in your sphere and what he's done for you as well. And so become aware. The second coaching point is commit to prayer. The third coaching point is this, show you care. See, I just, aware, prayer, care. See, that's what I went to college for, to be able to do that. So show you care. Colossians chapter three, verse 12. Look at what the Bible says there. To Christians, and this is gonna sound a whole lot like we talked about first week. Very similar passage of scripture. Therefore, as God's chosen people, remember we looked at the first week and Peter, or Peter, the apostle says, you are a chosen people. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Here, this is the apostle Paul. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, talking about Christians, holy and dearly loved, holy means different, set apart, light, salt, kind of idea. Clothe yourself, put it on. Clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. This is the clothing of Christians. This is supposed to be what we wear every day. But we all know that's not what everyone thinks about us, is it? Ask your boss. When you think of me, do you think of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? <laughs> Ask your spouse if you're married. Ask your kids. This is supposed to be the clothing of followers of Jesus. This is who we're supposed to be. This may be new to us, but it's 2,000 years old that God said this in the scripture. Every day we need to put on compassion, put on kindness. My, my wife Susie just wrote a, a blog post about kindness. It's 
time, the time for kindness. This is a time for kindness if there's ever been a time. And, and we see that so vividly in, in, in Texas right now, don't we? Where people just helping strangers. Doesn't matter what color their skin is. Doesn't matter what political party that they belong to. People just helping people. Kindness. And we turn on the news and hopefully you turn down the volume. You just watch the pictures. There's no way you can't be moved. As you see, kindness but for us as followers of Christ, that's supposed to be every day. Every day. And if I could just brag on my wife for just a minute, because she's just an exceptional woman. And she told me when she's writing this post, she said, you know, I'm gonna write about what happened just a week ago. And I remember when she came home a week ago, maybe it was two, because she said she was just running out for a couple errands and it ended up being a long time. And I'm texting her like, hey, is everything okay? She's like, yeah, I'm fine. Be home in a minute. She stopped by to get some gas. And after she pumped the gas, she was about to get back in her car. And a little old lady pulled up the pump next to her and she's trying to get out of the car with her cane. My wife stopped. And instead of getting in the car, she walked over and she said, can I help you? And that senior citizen, that, that old lady, she said, oh, sweetheart, thank you so much. I don't even know how to do this. It's been probably 30 years since I've done this. My husband always pumps the gas for me. But, but see, my, my sweet husband just had a stroke. And I'm going to run out of gas if I don't pump gas. And so Susie taught her how to pay at the pump right there. And she said, let me just pump the gas for you. And she pumped the gas for her. And she just talked to her. And she said, listen, and by the time you finish pumping, uh, the, the little old woman standing there, she said, I want you to know, Susie said to her, I want you to know something. She thanked her so much. Thanks, Susie. And she said, I want you to know something. God really loves you. She said, thank you, sweetheart. Thank you so much. You know, it takes time to be kind. And for too many of us, we are so busy, we don't have time to be kind. We don't have time to be compassionate. We don't have time to be humble. And we don't have time to be gentle. But this is supposed to be our clothing as followers of Christ. And when we do this, you know what? Just even a sphere at the gas station for a moment, you'll influence people. You'll impact people's lives just in a moment. Show that you care. Become aware, commit to prayer. Show that you care. And here's the fourth coaching point. Be ready to share. Be ready to share. Listen, I, I know sometimes it's hard. And you're like, wow, I don't know if somebody asked me about my faith in Christ. I don't know what I would say or anything. Let me help you, okay? Let me make this as easy as possible. Uh, two things. First of all, tell them, just tell them what Jesus means to you. Just, just simply tell them what your life was like at one point when it was in the deepest of the dark. And, and tell them, maybe it's still in the deepest of the dark, but tell them about the peace that you have right now. Just share your story. Here's the second thing. If you're intimidated to even share your story, invite them to church. 
say, I, I don't know, I don't have all the answers, but you want to come to church with me? And let me do my thing. And let us do our thing. And, and you know what we've just seen through the years? We just want to partner with you. And, and so many people come to Valley because someone invited them. Because a friend said, uh, struck up a conversation over a cup of coffee and, and, and started asking about their faith. I'm like, you know what, just, just come. Just come and I'll, I'll meet you at the door and I'll sit there next to you. And, and, and if in fact, next week we're starting a brand new series I'm so excited about called Playlist. I'm not gonna tell too much, but I'm gonna tell you a little bit. We're gonna take some of your favorite songs ever and we're not talking about the Christian radio station. And we're gonna show you how some of your favorite songs for years and years and even current ones have a whole lot more spiritual significance than you realize. What a great series to invite friends to. We want to partner with you in reaching the people that are in your sphere. So if you're intimidated, just be ready to share valleyny.cc. Uh, tell me about what does Jesus mean to you? Uh, here's my church website. I mean, it's not that hard. I mean, it really isn't to just invite them to share what God has done in your life. I, I love this. This is the last verse that we're going to look at. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. The apostle Paul was saying goodbye to the church of Ephesus that he'd started. We've talked about this in the, in the past when we, in our seven series in the, in the book of Revelation, gave a lot of background to the church there. And he's saying goodbye to the leadership, to the elders in the church there. And look at what he says here, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, the most important thing is that I complete my mission. The work that the Lord Jesus gave me. See, Paul knew something we all need to know. God's given each of us work to be done. It's his work. He wasn't clergy talking to laity. He was a follower of Jesus, talking to a group of other followers of Jesus Christ. He said, the most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord gave me. And what is it? It's the same work that he's given to every single one of us. It's the game plan. It's the great commission to tell people the good news about God's grace to tell people the good news about what God has done because he loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That's the good news that God loves every one of us that much and that God wants a real, growing relationship with every single one of us. And every single person you ever lock eyes with in your lifetime, God loves them just as much as he loves you. And he wants to work in your life and he wants to work through your life to reach them for his sake. I believe with everything in me that in our lifetime, God wants us to be busy. God wants us to be busy working on the great commission and see it through to the great completion. That's what he's after. That's what his game plan is. Listen, Valley family, this is our moment 
This is our time. This is our community. This is the mission that he has given to us. Not to stay in the locker room and and hug to the bench, but to strap on the helmet, to get in the game, and to execute the game plan that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave to us. This is our time. You're you're his secret weapon. You are his X factor. God wants to change this planet one life at a time. You are where you are for his sake. I'm gonna ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this series that we've been in for these last few weeks. Lord, I pray that that as Pastor Stephen and I have have just opened your word and shared it with the Valley family, Lord, I, I pray that there's been a greater sense, a greater awareness of the purpose that you have, Lord, Monday through Friday and Saturday as well in our lives and through our lives. Lord, that our work, that our friendships, our relationships, our our, our workouts are not meaningless. But Lord, that that our eyes have been opened to see even a greater picture of what you want to do in our lives and through our lives to influence those who are in our sphere. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that, that we would be busy from this day forward, seeing and working by your grace to see your great commission become the great completion in our lifetime. Change our world, God. It needs it so badly. Change our world, God. One life at a time. Right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to give an opportunity to anyone and everyone who's with us right now and hearing of my voice. If, if you identified yourself on that scale that we looked at just a minute ago, and, and you've never taken that step of receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and trusting him, putting your life and your faith in him, and receiving him, that perfect gift of salvation that he purchased for you through his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his resurrection. That the Bible makes it clear that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And right now, I just want to lead you in a prayer. If you've never prayed and received Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is the day. Today is your day. I believe that. And if you'll just open your heart up right now and repeat these words after me in prayer, this is the day that God will forgive you of all your sin. And even more than that, he wants to forgive you and he wants to start a real growing relationship with you every single day. All of this is possible because of his son, Jesus Christ, who came to be your savior, your friend, and your Lord. Just pray this prayer after me right now if you've never done it before. Heavenly Father, Forgive me of my sins. I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I receive Jesus as my Lord 
And I turn from my sins right now. And I trust Jesus and his sacrifice for me. Jesus, guide me, lead me, direct me, and direct my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.